All right. Well, I'm really glad to be with you guys today at the SIN conference. Are you enjoying the conference? Okay. That was so weak. That was so weak. Are you enjoying the conference? All right, I got one hand clap back there. Okay, well, we're going to dive right into our topic for the day, the best practices of a church planter's wife or the best practices of a pastor's wife. It works for everybody. Um, Before we do that, though, you heard just a tiny bit about me, and I want to know who I'm talking to. So um, how many of you in the room are church planter's wives? Everybody. Is there any pastor's wife in here who's of an existing church? We got two. We got three. Four. All right, five. All right, great. Well, I love to know who I'm talking to. I have a couple of giveaways. Does anybody like gifts? I do too. When I came in today, they had me a speaker basket, which I was thrilled. I, I love little gifts. So I know you guys love gifts too. So let me find out who is the youngest church plant in the room. Youngest church plant, less than a year old. Oh, awesome. Less than six months old. Five months, four months, three months, two months, one month old, three weeks old, two weeks old. You launched within the last week. You launched, Sunday was your launch day? You're starting. You're on the field, working the field. Have you guys launched? You've not launched. Have you launched? You haven't even moved. Okay, let me, let me clarify. You are a church plant who has had your grand opening. Youngest one. How old are y'all? Launched a year ago. Launched in October. Anybody else? Anybody launched sooner than October? October what? 2000, with the date. October what, 2011? Okay. She does not know. <laughs> what was yours? Do you know? The six. Can you, was it the first week? All right. I'm giving it to you. Youngest church plant in the room. A copy of my husband's book, The Measure of Our Success. In church planting and in church work, we all know there's a million ways you can measure success, the size of your church, the size of your staff, the number of programs you have. But truthfully, none of that measures the success in your church. In my husband's book, The Measure of Our Success, I'm as in a passion plea to pastor so we can really measure what we're doing the right way, God's way. So check that out. And then um, who in the room has been in ministry the longest, the longest period of time? Been in ministry 10 years, 12 years. 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, 45 years. Okay, I wish I had something better than a T-shirt for you. (laughs) Like that deserves a cruise or something, but there's a T-shirt. That's great. Well, that's a lot of fun. So what I want to share with you guys today doesn't come from some wealth of wisdom that I have or some vast knowledge that I have after reading thousands of leadership books. That's not the case at all. What I want to share with you actually comes from my own personal experience in ministry, coupled with my knowledge of God's Word. And those two things combined have led me to about six habits or practices that have really benefited my marriage, my ministry, my family, and my personal life. So today, I want to share some of those with you in the hopes that what God has taught me over the past 18 years might help you as well. So are you interested? Okay, that was weak again. We got to wake up this morning. Are you interested? All right, good. Let's get started. You should have gotten notes as you came in. Is that true? Okay, let's get started. Number one on your handout, the best practice I've ever um, come across as a church planter's wife, as a pastor's wife, isn't necessarily a practice at all or a habit. It's more of a mind shift, a change in perspective. And to explain it, I need to tell you a little story. 
When my husband and I moved to Cumming, Georgia, which is just about an hour east of here to plant our church, we came as a true parachute church plant. You know what that is? You just drop into a community and start working the field. We didn't know anyone. We didn't have a core group. We didn't have support. We raised our financial resources, but that was it. So we dropped into this community to um, plant our church. So we got to know people in our neighborhood, and we joined organizations civically and mom's clubs to meet people. And after, I don't know, about three weeks, we were ready to start a small group in our home. We had met enough people to invite them to our house. So what we did was invite our neighbors to our house for a grill out. About 18 people came. We grilled out. The kids played. We found out what they did for a living and why they had moved to coming. And at the end of the night, my husband circled everyone up and shared with them why we had moved to coming Georgia to, in fact, plant a church, a different kind of church, a church that might change the way people think about God and church. And to a person, all 18 people seemed really excited about what we were doing which was shocking because all the experts told us how difficult church planting would be. Have y'all heard those stories, how hard church planting can be? And so when all 18 said that they were very interested in coming back the very next week for our first Bible study, uh, we were on cloud nine. Like we told them all to go home, close the doors, lock the doors, turn out the lights, and went to bed patting ourselves on the back. Hey, this church planting thing was going to be easy, right? Oh, we were so naive because the next Wednesday we were ready. And 7 o'clock came, and 7.15 came, and then 7.30 came. But not one soul came. Not a single person showed up for our very first Mountain Lake Church event. As a matter of fact, our very first event in church planting, our very first venture into church planting was a complete and utter failure. And I don't mind telling you that night, we locked the doors and we turned out the lights and we really cried ourselves to sleep. But before we fell asleep with our tears... Um, a lot of thoughts and emotions and ideas were rolling through our heads. We, first of all, were very embarrassed. All of our neighbors could look out their windows and see that no one showed up for our event. And so we had put ourselves out there and gotten no response. So that was a little bit humiliating. But bigger than that were those doubts that were going through our minds. Did God really call us to this? Is this really what church planting was going to be like? Did we really just leave an existing church in Alabama with a steady paycheck and lots of friends and family to move to a place where we did not know anyone, we had no family, no friends, no support? Did we misunderstand God's call for our lives? All of those doubts, and I'm not exaggerating a bit, all of those doubts came on the heels of our very first failure. We had never never done anything in ministry that had not been a success. So the rug had been ripped out from under us. So we're throwing this pity party in our bedroom that night. And after a while, my husband said something that was so profound that I know it came straight from God and it's words that we've clung to for the next 13 years in ministry to this day. He said this. He said, Tricia, it is okay to be disappointed in the failure of this night, but we cannot allow that disappointment to drive us to defeat. Tomorrow morning, we're going to get up. We're going to brush ourselves off. We're going to knock on some more doors. We're going to meet some more people. We're going to try again. And it's that determination, that mind shift, that no matter what happens, we're going to stick to it, that has um, held us steady, really, in the mission that God has called us to for the rest of our ministry years. It's that determination that I think every successful person has, and it's number one on your handout sheet, and it's this. Accept disappointment, not defeat. Ladies, we must determine in our hearts and in our minds that whether we have two people in our church or 2,000 that we're going to serve God and serve the people he's called us to 
with 110% of who we are. It will be tough in ministry. Disappointments will come. If you haven't already learned that, you're going to learn it very quickly. For those of you who haven't um, planted your church yet, who have not even moved to the field yet, um, remember these words. Disappointments will come. Volunteers won't show up. There will be issues on your staff. Your husband will be criticized in your churches for decisions that he makes. He will be criticized in the communities that you serve because he will be misunderstood. You will be attacked by Satan. There is a big bullseye on your back marked out by him. Disappointments will come. You must determine on the outset of your ministry how you will respond when those disappointments come your way, when your family is attacked, when your dreams don't rise up to what you planned them to be. What will you do? In the days and weeks that followed after that very disappointing night, God led me to some scriptures that I had read a million times before, verses that I bet you've read a million times before. But in light of those circumstances that I just explained, um, they took on a whole new meaning. I think they're on your handout. I should have gotten one of those. Um, But they are this. Philippians 3, uh, Paul writes this. No, dear brothers and sisters, I am not still all I should be. But I am focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past, forgetting the fact that no one showed up for your event, forgetting the fact that that ugly circumstance keeps raising its ugly head, forgetting the fact that those staff issues happen day in and day out, forgetting the fact that criticism comes your way all the time, forgetting the fact that you planned an event for 18 and no one showed up, forgetting the fact that you might have egg on your face and looking forward instead to what lies ahead to the salvations that will come, to the baptisms that you will see and be part of, to the restored marriages, to the salvaged friendships, to the character that will be forged and the people that you lead, looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain forward to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us up to heaven. And then Paul says in Galatians 6, so don't get tired of doing what is good and don't get discouraged for we will reap a harvest of blessing at the appropriate time. On that night when we were crying ourselves to sleep in our bed, I had no idea how many people would eventually come to Mountain Lake. I had no idea that we'd eventually become a church of about 3,000. I had no idea that we'd eventually baptize over 1,600 people. If I had given up that night, if my husband had thrown in the towel, if we had packed up our stuff and gone home because church planting was going to be a little bit hard and we were a little too unwilling to fight the fight, What would have become of those 1,600 people? There's much fruit waiting for us, ladies, in our ministries and the places that God has called us to if we'll simply fight the good fight for what we believe. So this change in our minds, this determining to um, not allow disappointments to drive us to defeat, one of the best habits and practices of my life in ministry. All right, let's roll forward. Number two, number two, Let's let's turn a little inward and look at the influence that we have as pastor's wives. I think everybody raised their hand that they are a church planter's wife. Everybody in the lead position, if you're in a lead position, raise your hand. Most of us. Okay, this one is really geared straight to your heart with the influence that you have. As pastor's wives, we do have influence, whether we want it or not, whether we realize it or not, not. simply um, by sheer position that we are married to who we are married to gives us influence on our ministry teams. Hey, it gives us influence in our church and with key leaders. But in this particular practice, I'm talking specifically about our ministry teams. I have influence over the people on our staff, on our team. Um, 
ministry can often be a lonely place. Have y'all discovered that to be true? So many people know who you are, but very few people actually know you in your church. Um, It can be lonely. If it's lonely for you, it's lonely for the other people on your staff, on your team. And as a pastor's wife, especially in the lead position, you've got the ability to leverage your influence to change that a little bit, change the culture for the other pastor's wives on your team. Um, So here's what the best practice number two is. Pastor your peers. One of the best practices of my particular ministry is pastoring my peers. And by that, I mean build into the lives of the other wives on your team. Let me tell you some really practical ways I do that on our team. It's not rocket science. It's very elementary. Nothing's going to shock you or stun you. But I promise doing these things over a period of time has led to a lot of unity and um, sharpening of skills on our team. A, on your handout, um, a simple newsletter. I told you it wasn't rocket science. (laughs) I use a system called Constant Contact. If you're familiar with that, our church already uses it. And it allows me to create um, newsletter templates for free and um, send out email newsletters to our team. In that newsletter, I include a blog-type thought, devotional thought from me, maybe an article of about 200 words, not much, just a thought from me as the lead pastor's wife to the other wives on our team. I usually include something on leadership, Um, I usually include a calendar of events for the upcoming month, things that are taking place at our church. I don't know about you, but sometimes I miss what's happening at our very own church, and I get in the car because Sean tells me, hey, it's time to go get in the car. I don't even know where we're going. I don't even know what a meeting is coming up. So um, I feel like they're probably the same way sometimes. So a calendar of events, but not just the events that take place as part of your ministry. We celebrate birthdays and anniversaries and even the anniversary of when they were hired on our team. It's a great way to celebrate our team. Let me tell you why a newsletter, something as mundane as a newsletter, can be so effective on your team. It creates unity. As, as they hear from my heart as the lead pastor's wife at our church, I'm able to cast vision as I'm spot, spotlighting what particular ministry areas are doing or a particular person on our staff is doing, whether it's in ministry or in their personal life. I'm celebrating them. They feel loved and valued. They feel invested into. And when a team feels loved and valued and invested into, they work harder because they feel like they're part of something that has got momentum and is moving in the right direction. So something as simple as a newsletter is a great way to pastor your peers. Um, Another great way to pastor your peers a girl's night out. (laughs) Again, it's not rocket science. It doesn't even sound that spiritual. It doesn't even have to be costly or time-consuming. For us on our team, once every other month, we go out to dinner. That's six times a year. Our church does not pay for it. So if you're on a tight budget being a church planter, that's cool. Everybody in this room could afford a seven or eight dollar meal once every other month at a restaurant. We can all afford that. You can go cheap and eat a salad, get a half bowl of soup. I don't care what it is. The time together is what's important. We don't talk about spiritual things at those dinners. We aren't reading a Bethmore Bible study. We're not having a long prayer session. But what we are doing is talking about our lives. And when I leave those dinners with those ladies, I know what's happening in their marriages because we've talked about it. We've laughed about it. I know what's going on with their kids because we've talked about it. I know how to pray for them. Sometimes over the course of those conversations, I learn what they're good at, maybe things I didn't know about them before. And when I learn what they're good at, I can steer them in the right direction on our team of other ways they can use their gifts in our church. Does that make sense? So if something as, as um, surface level as a girl's night out promotes friendship, 
We know ministry can be a lonely place to be. But it also promotes an, a, an ability for me to unify us, to get us at the same table for a little while. Um, as your churches grow, you'll find that you may go three, four Sundays without seeing certain members of your team. You just run in different directions. because This gives you a time to circle up together. So something as simple as a girl's night out is a great way to build relationships and strengthen unity on your team. Now let's go old school on C. It is true that a Bible study is, in fact, a great way to pastor your peers. <laughs> I know. I'm pushing the envelope, right? A Bible study. Of course, we all know that a Bible study is a great way to pastor your peers. Um, if you have the time and the ability to pull your team together and go through a Bible study and meet once a week or once a month, kudos to you. Get it done. Um, don't let, let um, the excuse of you not having the energy to do it be your excuse. Lead and pastor your team. But if you don't have the time or the people on your staff cannot meet because they have young children at home or they work outside the home, don't let those excuses limit you from pastoring your peers in this area. Go 2012 and find a new way to have a Bible study. We don't have time on our team to get together, so we go online with it about once or twice a year, and that is all. We, this is not an ongoing thing because we don't have the the energy to keep something like, something like that going. Once or twice a year, we choose a book to read through together as the pastor's wives on our team. So that's not much. And then what I do is one chapter a week, I email everybody my thoughts on that, on that chapter. I ask them questions about what they read. I put out my own little food for thought. They hear from me about what God is teaching me through that chapter, and I'm posing questions to them. I'm leading in that way. Then throughout the week, they'll pepper back in their replies to things that I've said, to things that they've read in the book, and everybody can read those emails. Now, we're not face-to-face having a, a good Bible study. Would that be better? Absolutely, it would be better. But if you can't have better, at least go for what's good, and you can still pastor your peers through a Bible study just one or two times a year. You'd be surprised at what it will do to sharpen your um, ladies on your team, their skill set, stretch their faith. It's all, it's all a good, good thing. And then finally, D, uh, notes, phone calls, emails, texts. Don't underestimate the power of your words as the lead pastor's wife at your church. Um, people need to be encouraged. People need to be loved. People need to know that they're valued. So if you are in your church and you see one of your staff members uh, counseling a lady in the lobby, by all means, take the time to write her a note during the week and say, I saw you talking with that lady this weekend. Thank you so much for holding her hands through a difficult situation. Or thank you so much for leading worship on stage every weekend. You lead with such authenticity, and I'm so glad that you've, um, using, you're, you're, you're using your gifts here at this church. Or thank you for what you do in our children's area or our students' area. Or I just love seeing your smiling face every weekend at our church. You make the, the, our lobby a warm, friendly, inviting place to be, and I'm so proud to be your friend and on the team with you. Your words of encouragement carry great weight. You may not feel like they do. For years, as a church planter's wife, I didn't understand the weight that I had. I didn't understand the power that I had, the influence that I had. I'm beginning to get it. That sheer small words from me mean a lot to the ladies. I bet you guys love to be encouraged. I, love, I bet you guys love to be valued when somebody notices what you do. We all do. So do the ladies on your team. So begin to wear that mantle of leadership as the lead pastor's wife, and begin to mother the people on your team a little bit, care for them, minister to their needs, dispel the notion that ministry is a lonely place to be because of your influence in their life. Let me tell you why pastoring your peers is a very important thing. As goes leadership, 
so goes your church. As goes leadership, so goes your church. Do you want a vibrant, healthy, passionate church? Take a look at your team. Is your team vibrant, healthy, and passionate? Ladies, as pastor's wives, we've got some influence there, and there's some things that we can do to bring about unity on our team, to build into and invest into the people on our team, to love them, to value them, to encourage them, to sharpen their skill set. Small little things done over a long period of time result in a, a very healthy team that will, in fact, domino over, spill over into your church. Pastoring my peers, one of the best practices I've ever had in my ministry. All right, number three. Number three, let's go a little big, big picture. Big picture. Leverage life's seasons. Leverage life's seasons. Use those seasons of life when you can't be as involved in ministry to work on ministry. Use those seasons of life when you can't be as involved in ministry to work on ministry. Some of my husband's and my best ideas have not come when we're both up to our eyeballs in details of ministry. Some of our best, most creative ideas, some of our best uh, ideas for staffing our church, for leading out in ministry areas, came when we were on vacation, (laughs) when we were away from the details and the busyness and the chaos of day-to-day ministry. Ladies, there are seasons in our lives when we are so busy with other things that we may not have the time that we would necessarily like to have to serve in a ministry area. For example, how many of you have young children at home? Okay, so we all know the nursing schedules, the nap time schedules, kids just being fussy and not able to stay up at the church for the 17 hours that you need to be up there. Um, So sometimes we're in those seasons of life where there are demands on us. How How many of you work outside the home? Yeah, so you all know also there is demand sometimes that limit the amount of time you're able to devote to your church, whether or not you want to give that time. You're limited. So my challenge to you is to leverage those seasons. Instead of heaping guilt on yourself that you can't do or you don't have time to do, take a step back. Look at the overall picture of your church. You and your husband probably have um, the best idea of what your church should look like and be to the community. No one knows the vision for your church better than you and your husband. God gave you guys the vision for your church. And from you guys, it funnels down to the people in your churches. So what can you do to make that vision come to be? Take a look at your ministries. Maybe you have young children at home and you can't be up in a, in a particular ministry area. So maybe you come on campus every Sunday and view your church through the lenses of a first-time guest. Do you have a parking team? Are you to that point where you have a parking team at your church? Are, they, um, are those parking lot attendants welcoming, inviting? Is it clear where to go and park? Are they directing you in with their cigarette and their Bud Light t-shirt, as has happened at my church? <laughs> Some things, things that we ought to notice from time to time. As you walk into your auditorium, is it well-signed? If I was a first-time guest, would I know where to go? Moving into the children's area, is it secure? Are the workers in there warm and friendly? Are the kids in there happy? Is this going to be a place that if I was a first-time guest, skeptical about church maybe in the first place, that I'd be willing to hand over my child? Uh, Moving into the auditorium, does the worship service flow nicely? Does it make sense? Maybe you give gifts to your first-time guests. How old are those gifts? Is it the same thing you've been giving for the last two years? Do they need to be updated in some way? Take a look at the overall picture of your ministry areas. It doesn't sync up with the vision that you and your husband had. Honestly, your husband is on, on a stage behind a pulpit, whatever that looks like in your church, every weekend. He's not able to walk through the children's areas. He's not able to mingle through the lobbies. 
He can't see all those things that maybe you could see. So leverage life seasons. Instead of heaping guilt on yourself for what you can't do, look for some creative ways for doing things that you can do. Does that make sense? I often say be the eyes and the ears for your church when you can't be the hands. There will come a season, ladies, when you will have time again, and you can be the hands. All of my kids are in school these days, and so I've got eight to three every day to invest into ministry, and I'm getting a lot done, and God is requiring a lot more of me these days than he did five years ago. That's a good thing. But I'm in a different season now than I was then. There's no way I could have done then what I'm doing now. Leverage life seasons. Find a way to use whatever season you're in for the good of God's kingdom. Um, Let's see. Let's move to number four. Work yourself out of a job. Another best practice of a pastor's wife is to work yourself out of a job. Hey, in ministry, I think we're supposed to wear a lot of hats and be busy doing a lot of things. Um, That's a good thing. There's no other better place to invest your time, your talents, and your resources than God's church, right? We all know that in our hearts. So we should have a lot of jobs and tasks that we do. We ought to be busy working, but we also should have an exit strategy. We should also have an exit strategy. It is not our job to do everything and plug every hole in our churches. It is our job to train and equip the body to do the work of ministry. Let me say that again because I think we get this wrong in so many ways. It is not our job to do everything and plug every hole in ministry. It is our job to train and equip the people that we're leading to do the work of ministry. Typically speaking, I, by myself, can reach about 10 to 15 people. I can effectively challenge them, mentor them, coach them, love them, invest into them. I can take care of about 10 to 15 people. So can my husband, 10 to 15 people. Together, we could reach a church of about 30. Well, there's a lot more than 30 people in my community that need to know the Lord. So we've got to be busy delegating out these um, jobs in our church so that we can all reach people. So what that looks like for me is I take on a leadership position in our church. Maybe I'm working in a children's classroom. While I'm there, I'm training up two people behind me to do what I do, to coach that room. And at a predetermined time, whether it's six months or a year, 18 months, two years, I've determined that's how long I'm going to stay in that position. When I step out, those people step into this position. What do I do at that point? I'm free to go on and start another ministry in our church or take on a ministry that just needs help, needs some new leadership or someone to come recruit volunteers or some new vision in a particular area. What happens over time is a leadership incubator is created where I have stayed in a particular ministry area and raised up two leaders. And those two leaders are trained to raise up two leaders. And those two leaders are trained to raise up two leaders. And what happens over time is I have created a very mature, healthy church where the members of the church are doing the work of ministry, not the pastor and his wife. The pastor and his wife have done their job, which according to Scripture is training and equipping the body. Paul says it in Ephesians 4. Their responsibility, and he's talking to pastors and spiritual leaders at that point, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. It does not say that their responsibility is to do the work. It says that our responsibility as spiritual leaders is to train and equip people. So, ladies, we've got to be busy delegating what we're doing, giving our jobs away, working ourselves out of a job. If you've been stuck in children's ministry, For any length of time, because there's no volunteer to take your spot, get busy right now. Planning a time, an exit strategy. When will you leave that classroom? Who are you going to raise up behind you? Who are you training? We've got to delegate. It's one of the most difficult things to do because we're tempted to believe that no one can do the job the way we can do it. No one knows better how to get it done. 
besides us, but that's not God's plan. God says we're to be training and equipping leaders, delegating off the responsibility, and going on to start new things. So working yourself out of a job, that's one of the best things I could do for my church because I raise up leaders in the process. And it's one of the best things I've done for myself because I don't find that I'm stuck in a ministry because no one knows I'm back there and there's no help for me. That doesn't have to be our story. All right? So work yourself out of a job. Um, Number five, kick the church to the curb. Now, that one sounds spiritual, doesn't it? (laughs) Super spiritual. Kick the church to the curb. Um, Church planting is my life. Church planting is my life. I bet ministry is your life too. Um, I bet you guys talk about ministry morning, noon, and night. And that's a good thing. I do believe we should be busy in ministry. But home should still be a soft place to fall. Home should still be a soft place to fall. Um, The first two years of our church plant... Uh, We didn't get this right at all. As a matter of fact, we didn't take a day off. We didn't take a vacation. Um, We didn't honor the Sabbath at all. We talked about ministry morning, noon, and night. We were planning message series. We were handling finances. We were recruiting leaders. We were teaching messages on the weekend. We were um, handling emails at 9 o'clock at night. My husband would wake up in the middle of the night with a message idea. I need to write it down right then and then not be able to go back to sleep. Um, We were unhealthy in so many ways. And there's a reason why God said work six days and rest on the seventh. And we were not honoring it because we were busy doing very good things. Does anybody else relate to that? Being busy doing very good things and making that your excuse to never turn it off? Well, after two years, that took a heavy toll in our marriage. And we had an intense talk at one point where I told my husband, I don't think I like you very much anymore. I'm never going to walk out on you. I'm never going to divorce you. I know you're never going to walk out on me or divorce me. But I don't like you very much anymore. And I, I can't imagine that you like me very much anymore. We, we've become dynamic ministry partners, but horrible marriage partners. And we're just coexisting and tolerating each other. And this is not what I signed on for. And it's not what you signed on for. And so we canceled every appointment that week. We went to the beach and we um, worked on our marriage, and we, pl- we put some boundaries in place that week that would forevermore protect our marriage, and we hold true to them even to this day. So let me tell you what we did. Maybe if you're in the midst of that kind of situation, it'll help you, and if you're not there yet, maybe it will prevent a train wreck from happening in your marriage. Um, here we go. A, we set limits on our work time. My husband gets up early to start ministry, but he's done at five, and when he walks in the door at night, his cell phone is not on his ear, And his laptop doesn't go on his lap to do any kind of ministry after dinner. He's fully husband and father, not pastor. And the same is true for me. Um, I'm not handling any kind of ministry. I'm not planning women's events or um, returning emails or anything like that at night. I am fully wife and mom. So we set limits on work time. That sounds pretty attractive to a lot of you, I'm sure. And you're probably thinking to yourself, Uh, Well, my husband would never go for that. Maybe you've even had arguments with your husband about, please turn off that cell phone. Please stop texting. Please don't do that anymore. You're never with us. Um, Those were some arguments that we were having. And so my husband and I have been very diligent over the last probably decade um, as we counsel and mentor pastors and pastor's wives across the nation um, to honor their marriages and preserve them in the process by setting some limits on your work time. This is not just something I tell the women The husbands that my husband deals with, the pastors that my husband talks to, they hear the same thing, and they are challenged to set some limits on work time. Um, Sean wrote a book this year called The Measure of Our Success. I gave it away earlier, and he speaks 
um, candidly in the book about this very issue. So if you um, have this context going on in your marriage right now, I couldn't more highly recommend that you and your husband read that book together and set some limits on your work time. Uh, B, we limited the number of nights each week that we're willing to be away from home and each other. Let me limit how many nights a week you're willing to be out. Up until that point in our marriage, we were out five nights a week because we had the deadline looming on us that at the end of two years, our church needed to be self-supported. Um, so we were running against that deadline, and we always felt like we need to recruit some more people. We need to tell more people about the church. We've got to have tithers and people who give offerings coming to our church because finances are running out. As much as we were thinking all the spiritual thoughts, we were also very practical. And so we were up against those deadlines. Um, so limiting the number of nights that we were home killed our marriage. We were out five nights a week. We didn't know each other. We just knew ministry. So on that beach trip, we said no more. We're willing to be out two nights a week, once for our life group. Some of you may have Sunday school, so that may not um, correlate to you. But we were willing to be out two nights a week. Other than that, the other five nights, we're with our family. We preserve our family in that way. Um, C, we create some outside interests for ourselves. Um, I bet before you got into ministry or to church planting, you had some things that you liked to do with your husband, and you had fun doing them. But somehow, someway along the, along the lines of ministry, those all fell by the wayside because you're busy doing ministry work. Get back to those interests. Find something to do with your husband that has nothing to do with church. Maybe it's kayaking or landscaping or playing tennis or board games or going for a walk after dinner. Maybe it's discovering new restaurants. I don't care what it is. Find something to do with your spouse that has nothing to do with church. Refresh yourself. Again, there's a reason why God told us to work hard for six days and take a seventh off. Refreshing and refueling ourselves is incredibly important. We cannot do board games. My husband cheats at Monopoly, and then we wind up in a fight, and it totally ruins the whole spend time with each other thing. So uh, we like to go out to dinner and um, discover new restaurants. All right, and then E, make time on a regular basis for your friends. Make time for your friends. They'll keep you sane, and they'll get you laughing. There's this notion in, in church world that pastor's wives can't really have friends in the church. Um, that may or may not be true. I don't know what it looks like for you. Um, but if you can't find friends in your church, connect with some ladies here. Exchange email and Facebook and Twitter, blogs, whatever it is. Connect in cyberspace. And then when you can come to these kinds of events, get together. If you're within driving distance, by all means, set up a time once a month, once every other month to get together. I do know this. To have a friend, you must be a friend. So who are you investing into? Friendship is one of God's greatest gifts to us. And when we neglect that in our lives, we're robbing ourselves of something really special. So invest into some friends. Put it on the calendar. Meet at Starbucks once a month. Go out for dinner once every other month. Have some time for you and one or two other girlfriends that you can pour into each other. Very important. Um, the best gift you can give your church is not dynamic teaching. It's not cutting-edge worship. It's not great children's curriculum. The best gift you can give your church is not cool student environments. We're tempted to believe that that is what we have to have. None of that is true. The best gift you can give your church is a healthy marriage between you and your husband, a healthy you and a healthy pastor. I'll tell you why, by asking a question. If your marriage falters, what happens to your church? If your marriage falters, what happens to your church? What happens to the skeptics in your church that are coming on Sunday, giving God and his church one more chance? 
and they see that y'all have fallen, and they say to themselves, well, it doesn't even work for the leaders. Why would this whole Christian thing work for me? And they wash their hands of it, and they walk away. The truth is, ladies, when we said I do to our husbands, that was one commitment. But when we said yes to ministry, we went to a whole nother level, and now our marriages are about much more than just us and our husband. It's about us, our husband, and the church we're leading. Some of you don't want to hear that, and that is stepping on toes, and you don't want that kind of responsibility. But I didn't give you the responsibility. God did. And so, ladies, protect, preserve your marriages. Kick the church to the curb and enjoy your spouse a little because when you come back to ministry, you'll be refreshed and refueled and ready to lead. I am tired and heartbroken about seeing pastors and their wives' marriages crumbling across the nation who have not protected and preserved their marriages. And I'm angry, really, about the damage that it's doing to God's church, the damage it's doing to the skeptics who will no longer give God's church a chance because they're watching his people. So, ladies, let's protect our marriages. Kick the church to the curb some. Number six, our last one, relish the responsibility. Relish the responsibility. In your role as a pastor's wife, you have the responsibility to lead and shepherd people. Um, Don't squander it. You may not want that responsibility, but you've got it. So let me tell you some really easy ways that you can relish it and make make the most of your role as a pastor's wife. A, first of all, just be aware that people are watching you. I know you already know that. But let's just really put it to the forefront of our minds. Be aware that people are watching you. We live in a fishbowl. People are minutely examining our lives. Let's give them something good to watch. Let's give them something good to watch. Let's, let's meet the standard. Let's live our lives with integrity. Um, Titus 2.7 says this, Let everything you do reflect the integrity and the seriousness of your teaching. Be aware that they're watching. So guard your reactions Watch what you put on Facebook and Twitter. Um, Guard your character. Develop yourself in those ways. Give them something good to watch. B, be available to talk with people after your worship services. You may not be a big extrovert. You may be a little introverted, but you can do this. You can stand with your husband after the worship services, slip your hand into his hand and stand with him and have those lobby conversations with the people in the church. And something beautiful happens when when you're there. You hear the stories of what God is doing in the lives of the people in your church. You find ways to pray for them. When you hear what God is doing in your church, you know better how to pray for your church. You hear what they're struggling with. You hear what they're um, winning victories over in their lives. And you get tons of hugs. It's a really good thing. You get tons of hugs. And so um, stand with your husband after the services and be available to talk to the ladies in your church. Sometimes need a lady. They see your husband as the pastor and the shepherd of your church, but they look to you for leadership as well. And so the ladies of your church might need that as well. So make yourself available. See, be patient with people as they grow spiritually. Remember that it is our job to lead them in love. And I don't know about you, but um, our church is reaching a lot of people who are disconnected from Christ in the church. So when they come to us, um, messy does not even begin to describe them. Um, it takes a lot of work. There's about an 18, two, 18 month, two year turnaround to watching them a mold into the likeness of Christ at our church. And so they're messy. And blatantly speaking, they make some boneheaded choices. 
And we often suffer the consequences of those choices. But it's my responsibility, it's my husband's responsibility to love them and be patient with them as they grow. And the truth is, if we monitored our own lives and just took a look at this morning and yesterday, we could probably pinpoint some boneheaded choices we made. So we're not the perfect ones either. So be patient with people as they grow. Remember, we don't get to just wash our hands of people and move on if they're a little too difficult to love. God has called us to this position, so be patient with people as as they grow. Um, D, hey, let's just change the way people think about pastors and their wives. Let's just change it. Um, Let's stop holding out this notion that we're perfect because we're not. And who can live up to that? The only one that is perfect is God. We're going to make mistakes. And if the people in our churches think that we're perfect, they don't think that they can live up to the model that we're setting before them. They think, oh, only a pastor could do that. Don't we want our churches to be full of people who think they too can lead, that they too can share Christ, they too can have godly character? Don't we want to show people that if you fall, this is how you get back up? This is what that looks like. Here's what confession looks like. Here's what apologies look like. Here's what forgiveness looks like. Lead out in the good things, but you can lead when you mess up as well. So change the way people think about pastors and the wife. Be real. Be transparent. Let people see that you've got dirty laundry and you've got crushed up goldfish crackers smashed into the floorboards of your cars. (laughs) Let people see that you're real. When they know you're real, you're much more easy to follow. And then E, this is my favorite one. Challenge your own spiritual growth. Challenge your own spiritual growth. I have a good friend, Holly Furtick, who said at a conference this year um, she could not ride the spiritual coattails of her husband. And that is true. And that's convicting. We cannot ride the spiritual coattails of anybody else. We are responsible for our own faith. And I, I mentor pastor's wives across the nation. And I am saddened by the number of times I hear pastor's wives tell me that they're not reading their Bible. They don't have a prayer life. And these are leaders in God's churches across America. That's a shame. So I'm telling you today, find a reason to fall a little bit more in love with Jesus today. Get a reading plan for your Bible. Journal out what he's doing in your church and in your heart and in your family. Grow in your own spiritual walk. And remember that God cares much less about what you're doing for him and much more about who you are in him. So don't exchange all those busy, good things that you're doing at your church and then think that that takes the place of your relationship with Christ. That comes out of gratitude for what he's done for you. You must still grow in your faith. You must still grow in your faith. So these are my six best practices of a pastor's wife. Um, All of it is good. All of it would give you warm fuzzies. It all sounds good, but none of it happens without a plan. You got to have a plan. You're not going to pastor your peers without a plan. You're not going to grow spiritually without a plan. So my challenge to you is take some of those ideas, put them into practice. Maybe your mind has spurred into more ideas of things that you could do differently for your team, but make a plan. Um, Proverbs 4 says this, Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet and then stick to that path and stay safe. Stick to that path. Make a plan, ladies. Then work your plan. And watch God develop your church because of your influence. Let him leverage your influence for his good in your church and preserve and protect you and your marriage and your family in the process. So those are my best practices. If you have questions, I would love to open up for a Q&A. Do we have time? Ten minutes. We have ten minutes for Q&A. Any? What you got? D on number five was um, create a family night. Oh, I missed that one altogether, guys. That's right. I didn't even say that, did I? 
Um, D was create a family night. If you have kids at home, by all means, create a family night and then guard it with your life. Just like you would never miss a Sunday morning worship service, never miss that family night. Let your kids know that it's just as important to be with them as it was to do God's work. God gave you that family. (laughs) That is your charge as well. So um, we don't want to raise kids that grow up bitter against God and the church because mom and dad were always meeting the needs of those people and never meeting the needs of the people that God directly gave us. So create a family. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to cost anything. You can watch movies. You can rent movies for a dollar from Redbox. We are the king and queen of cheap family nights. But um, let your kids know that they they are so important to you and guard it with your life with that family night. What else? Any other questions? Yes. Right. Absolutely, you can. Um, in the early days of our church, um, who I pastored were our key leaders in our church, life group leaders, um, guest service team leaders, um, the one other family that was on our staff. I worked hard to invest into that one other family because we were both giving all we had. So it does morph and change. So define peers ever how you need to define peers, but allow God to use your influence for the people that are in your church in whatever way he sees fit. Any others? Meaning, do I mentor specific people in our church? Um, no, I do not. Um, I, am, I am dealing with our team, and then I'm pastoring and mentoring pastor's wives across our, really, the southeast. Um, there are times where people pop up or God puts them in my path, and I'm working with them for a time. I'm part of a life group, so I have eight ladies in that life group that I'm investing myself into. I try never to spread myself too thin because, again, we can only reach a limited number of people, and I want them to get the best of what God has given me to give to them. And if I spread myself too thin, I cannot. So I choose who gets in my little red wagon. And in my little red wagon in this season of my life is my team, the handful of ladies that I pastor in regards to mentoring pastor's wives and my life group. And I'm investing at a heightened level for those people. I'm asking them the tough questions. I'm meeting with them on a regular basis. I'm diving into their marriages and their lives. And it's not just, hey, how was your week? I'm making the most of that influence in those ways. So that's who I'm dealing with now. Yes. No, my husband and I started out in real estate, taking over the Lovejoy Real Estate Company. Um, My husband's father has been in real estate for 35 or 40 years. And so we were taking over his company. When God called us into ministry, we were heavily involved in lay leadership in our church. And over time, God just grabbed our hearts. So, no, I didn't know I wanted to be a pastor's wife. I, didn't, I never thought about being there. I just thought about loving ministry, loving the church work, loving what God was doing in that way. So that's where I always felt my heart pulling. Was there one over here? I thought I saw somebody move. Any others? Yeah. All right. Her question is, for those of you who are in the back, how do you handle a situation when maybe a pastor's wife on the team doesn't feel like she does not feel like the pastor's wife is pulling her weight? Um, first, as a, as a pastor and the pastor's wife, as a team, you guys need to decide what is expected of pastor's wives on your team. Um, did you hire the pastor to be on your team, or did you hire the pastor and his wife? Because if you just hired the pastor, if that other wife is not making any money, um, there's no real expectations for her. Um, so you have to lay that out make that clear. We weren't very clear with that for the first several years of our church, and we've, become, we've gotten clear now. Um, but when you're planting a church, oftentimes you feel like everybody has to pull all their weight. Um, if, you, if it's a situation that you feel needs to be addressed, that I think is something that your husband deals with the pastor that he hired. And to say, is something going on here? Is your wife okay? We want her to feel loved and valued and a part of this team. Is she engaged? What can we do to help her get engaged rather than it being you going to her? 
There's a fine line between you using your influence and your leadership and crossing those boundaries into things that are really um, church staff issues. So I would, I would tread carefully, and I would let your husband handle it. Yes. Right. There are seasons. when We, have, we host a conference at our church each year called churchplanners.com. And so there's seasons when that, that 5 o'clock thing is out the window. Um, Christmas time, it's out the window. Easter, it's out the window. There are plenty of times during the year when we say, hey, we're all in, and you all better be in. Um, so, you know, there are seasons. But most of the time, we hold true to the promise that, you know, 5 o'clock, we're done. Sean finishes work at 5, and he works out with some of the pastors at our church. So he comes in about 6.30. So they shut off work. They do their little workout. He comes on about 6.30. There are times when he comes to our house that we see his truck circle the block several times. The kids are at the window. What is daddy doing? Because he's on the phone. He's finishing up a ministry call, and he's not allowed to walk in that front door with that stinking phone on his ear because we want him to be husband and daddy when he walks in the door. And um, my kids have gotten really good about when he comes in the door, they rush him yelling, Daddy's home! So there's no way he can be on the phone. Like that would totally, so he knows better than to walk in. So um, we're not legalistic about it. We, we all as a family, my husband's not in ministry. Our family is in ministry. Um, our kids too. So um, there are times that we're all in and we know, hey, boundaries are out this week. So, but most of the time, I would say 80 to 85% of the time, we are guarding those boundaries. Any others? Oh, Yes. I have a 13-year-old girl, I have a 9-year-old girl, and I have a little boy who will be 8 on the 21st. Three kids. Three kids. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 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 Um, I have a blog, sharpenher.com. Get it? Sharpener. Sharpenher. You see how creative I can be? You see that? That's right. I have that blog. I write for flourish.me from the North American Mission Board. Um, and then through our churchplanters.com coaching network, I mentor and, and uh, coach pastors' wives. So you can connect with me in those ways. I'd love to connect with you. I love making friends with other people who are like-minded on the journey together. So it's a good thing. Yes, it does. It's just another way I can leverage my influence. It's a secular magazine, but they allow me to talk about God. So as long as they're going to let me talk about God, I'm throwing in verses, and I'm talking about Jesus, and I'm preaching it. All right, ladies, I'm pretty sure we're out of time, but please connect with me. Send me some emails. Let me know what's going on in your lives. I'd like to know what the hot topics are for you guys as we address stuff, and by all means, enjoy the conference. Let me pray for us as we go. Father, thank you so much for some time with some women who are using their influence for you, and I pray that you would um, motivate us, inspire us to leverage that influence for the good of your kingdom. Father, put people in our path that we can talk to about you, Give us friends because we need it. Give us wisdom as we lead out on our teams. And, um, Father, help us to finish the race and to fight the good fight for what we believe. You've called us to a great task, and we're honored that you've chosen us. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.